But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. We are through three rounds, almost, almost, at the 2023 Wimbledon Championships at the All England Lawn and Tennis Croquet, Crochet... Cricket, Snooker... Snobbery, uh, football, club. club. And we are here for our mid-tournament episode. Yeah, this week has been dominated by Talk About the Rain... Roof, curfews, cues, <laughs> as usual. It does feel like we talk about the same things like every year at Wimbledon because they are so stubborn. Yeah, but I feel like this year, all those things focused. If it were just a blurry lens of fuckery in previous years where you just kind of haphazardly complain about stuff, everything focused into one very clear picture this year as to what is a problem for me. For you. Mm. At this tournament. And we're (laughs) going to get to that. But first, we're going to start with some of the big stories and top performers of the first week. Let's start day one. Venus Williams is back, opens against Alina Svitolina, and she slips in the first set. She's a point away from going up three love in that first set. She is firing. She's looking good. She's carrying on the form from her grass tournaments in her lead-up preparation to this tournament. And then she advances to the net, hits a volley, changes direction, and screams an almighty scream as she falls to the floor. Mm -hmm. We saw this uh, quite recently in her first grass outing in the Netherlands against Georgie. She fell there. And it just feels like when players reach this age, when they're trying to do something truly extraordinary, like there are just so many setbacks, just one step forward, five steps back. In the case of Venus, it wasn't clear to me that we'd ever see this kind of form or level from her again. Mm -hmm. She's 43 years old, right? right? But she was able to get to a point where, again, she's fixed the serve. She's serving much better. She didn't miss much from the ground when she was in position. She was playing very well. She played well against Georgie. She she played well against Ostapenko. But I think the lesson here is there is just no... There's no overcoming time and age in professional sport. Because Venus's mind is willing. Her game is still willing. But time and again in the last, especially... The last couple of years, her body has let her down. Mm-hmm. In Australia, the injury right when she was looking good again in New Zealand early this year, and now again at Wimbledon. You spend all these months coming back at this age when you have so little time left, <laughs> you know, fighting mm-hmm. against the clock, mm-hmm. and you come back and you feel like you're playing well. We can see that you're playing well, but your body just cannot respond to the rigors of professional sport the way it used to. 
And I can't imagine how frustrating that is. And also the surface is kind of a problem. We've seen a lot of slips and falls, we always do, and we just kind of accept that this is grass court tennis. When These this, are players who have proven they know how to move on the surface. When the schedule came out and folks were like, oh yes, Venus back on center court, day one, blah, blah, blah. My very first thought was, oh no. Right, because we know what center court is giving on day one, even though they allow players to practice on it now. I was, I was not looking forward to that. No. And three games in, here we are. I'm begging commentators to stop with the, uh, this could be her last time we're ever seeing her at Wimbledon or on center court. There was so much of it on U.S. media. And then Patrick McEnroe said it, but then followed, but Venus has given no indication that she wants to retire. So wh why did you say that if Venus said she wants to keep playing? Right. And when Venus says things, she generally executes on them. Right, but this discourse has been going on since, for 15 years. Since the uh, aughts, since it, like 2009. It predates the body serve. It sure does, yeah. And so if Venus is out here joking that maybe she'll be the first 50-year-old, she might very well be. Right. So Svitolina, for her part, back from maternity leave not too long ago, has now made the second week in her first two slimes back. She beats the third-round queen, Elisa Mertens, who I said I always say, well, just slot Mertens into the third round. Not so. Not so this time. And then she handled Kennan quite handily okay. today. Sophia Kennan was bawling. Uh, that's could. the other thing that happened on day one. Shortly after Venus lost, minutes after Felix lost, and then there was this great match between Coco and Sophia Kennan, and Coco went out as well. Kennan had her number. I mean, she was just blasting the ball up the center of the court and picking at the forehand, like mercilessly. Yeah, Kennan looked really good. She really did. And she could have been one of the big stories about this tournament, but instead it's Svitolina who is doubling down. This comeback right. is crazy. It's happened so swiftly, her return to tour, mm -hmm. and even more swiftly, her return to form. And for my money... She's playing better than she ever has. Really? She's hitting the ball harder, better than she has previously. She has a winnable match against Victoria Azarenka in the round of 16. Azarenka, who, uh, I mean, kind of dismantled Dasha Kazatkina, but someone who's not, uh, this is not her favorite surface. Mm -hmm. Dasha made the final in a lead-up tournament, right? The one after Berlin last week. We saw Dasha and Vika play in Berlin. And at that tournament, neither of them looked anywhere close to being able to win a match at Wimbledon. So <laughs> right. I think on the preview episode, I had given Vika's chances of doing something big here, like fairly small. Right, right. But here she is. Well, and you also said don't count on Madison to succeed at two tournaments in a row. Right. And she's in the second week now, has handled her draw very well. Not a difficult draw, but she's made it through without much drama. For my mind, the biggest story of the first week, Christopher Eubanks. Yeah, wow. Gotta be. What a moment. Like this dude, I mean, we have a... I don't know if we've talked about this on the show before. We must have. He could have been your very first interview. 
back in yeah. like 2016, 2017, you were trying to get a one-on-one -on -one with Chris Eubanks. <laughs> he had gotten into Cincinnati. He had, I think, been bumped to center court a night match to fill in for mm -hmm. Federer, who had withdrawn or something. It was a last minute. He was like pushed onto center court at night. And it went so late into the night that it was... The only option for that interview would be like in the tunnel. Uh, yeah. Like a passing moment, a couple it was, questions. It was one of those like, if he wins, and depending on what time it is, you can stand in the tunnel and we'll let you ask a question or something. Um, he was an amateur at that time. Mm -hmm. Remember, he was still, he had just finished his third year, uh, Georgia? Georgia or Georgia, Georgia Tech? Tech? I can't remember. Yeah. It's in Georgia. And you, he you, was... <laughs> you were like, let this man have his peace. It's really, it's not that I was that like, serious. you know what? It's fine. Sloan has already said no to me seven... 511 times this week so i'm just gonna stop trying that was the same year uh <laughs> right but we've been following his progress since we've met cousin candy we're friends with cousin candy on twitter mm -hmm. um chris decided to forgo his senior year in in school and he did not see immediate success on the atp tour but for a long time he was hovering outside the 120s was close to the 100s the top 100 but he'd get to like 120 130 and then oh boy some challenger points fell off from mm -hmm. this week last year and it was a constant struggle he had that that big run in miami this year now second week at wimbledon he won in mallorca last week and so now he's going to be a top 40 player yep he's going to get direct entry into the u.s open direct entry into the australian open and he has the opportunity now with a couple more decent results to build a solid, consistent top 50 career for a few years. The big caveat here is injuries, right? A lot of times people have one big result, two big results. Then maybe you have a fall off of form or you get this debilitating or tragic injury and you're, it's all wasted, you know? Mm -hmm. So I wish for him health and continued success and consistency. But this is big. Yeah, the, I mean, the surface is obviously ideal for his game. He didn't think he, so until this year. Right. He hated it until this year. Asking Kim Kleisters for for advice on how to move on the surface. Um, it was really cool to see their texts, actually, and see her suggestions. But he beat the Brit, number 12, Cam Nori, who made the semifinals here last year, which is massive. Quite easily. I mean, yeah, surprisingly so. He'll play Stefanos Tsitsipas in the round of 16. Stefanos, of course, beat Andy Murray over the course of two days. Uh, at some, you know, his first round match was a five setter, too. Yeah. So he has a lot of mileage coming in. Again, someone who's not well suited to grass. In the first few sets of the Murray match, I was like, Stefanos looks really good. Like, I thought he looked great. No, and then. But he's been playing well. He has been playing he has, well at this tournament. But again, like, don't teach your kids one-handed backhands. Oh my god, here we go No, again. don't. Like, don't. Because Stefanos would be a complete player without that backhand. He probably would have won a major already. Another big story. Matteo Berrettini was injured. May not have even played this tournament at all. He mm -hmm. said he was considering that. And he said, well, you know what? I've missed so many big tournaments the last couple of years. I'm here. I'm just going to give it a go. And look what he did. <laughs> he took out that guy today in straight sets. Mm -hmm. He had lost to Sonigo pretty badly in Stuttgart. That was his only match on grass. Last year, I think he was a Queen's Club champion. Uh, he hadn't won a match since Monte Carlo. He's been dealing with these injuries. 
uh, for a long time last year, as you recall, and this year. And he said he wasn't, he didn't really think he was prepared to play the tournament at all, but decided to try. So he beats Sonigo. He beats Alex Demonauer, who we talked about as somebody who was a dark horse mm-hmm. who had tons of success on grass recently. One of the winningest players on grass by match wins in the last couple <laughs> right. years. But Berrettini is also in that category. It just didn't seem like he was there physically. And then Zverev today. It all feels like bonus for him. Like he seems amazed that he's here. He said he spent too many days crying in bed that he couldn't play, that he's going to gut it out. He doesn't care that he played five straight days here. Again, I'm here to bow to your expertise, to come R- what? To come with my tail between my legs, to once again agree with you that the draw on the woman's side is lop- lopsided. <laughs> as, we, as we have a clearer picture of the final 16, the bottom half is way, way tougher than the top half. Yes. That said, I think we are also getting to a stage where Iga Svantec is figuring out grass. Yeah, yeah. And should we not expect that? We, I feel like for a no, while... No, we knew we'd get there. I don't know. I don't know. Isn't she like 21? Sure, but I don't know that we we were that clear-minded about it. And I don't think the discourse surrounding her has been that expectant. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's stupid not to. Like, Iga has one of the most professional approaches to tennis... She has a very professional team. These these are expectations she has of herself. Yeah. She's not Casper Ruud <laughs> with grass, you know? <laughs> Who's sort of resigned to You know, fate. like it's... Yeah. Like this is... She expects to have the career Grand Slam. Of course. Right? At, like, with her level of talent and her precociousness yeah. at, at her age. Like, yeah. And curiosity and drive. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I imagine she sees it as a challenge, a puzzle to figure out. Right. And I feel like we're seeing the pieces fall into place here. I mean, she lost to Cornet last year. Serena has lost to Cornet at Wimbledon. She's lost to Cornet many times. (laughs) (laughs) But specifically on grass. Like, Mm. that's not a huge, huge deal, you know? Right. So, Iga's still in the draw. Hasn't looked very bothered so far. Right. Has had a very easy draw, obviously. Mm. One of the stories that seems to happen every slam now is that there is some buffoonish reporting happening in the press room, whereby there are major gaffes. In this case, gaffes that happen where people double down on them and pre- pretend like they didn't happen. Uh, are you talking about the Paolo Badosa incident? Yes. That was, well, not shocking because it has happened before. But We've seen the, it happen many times. The determined nature of the reporter to just plow through mm. like paula essentially said no i i lost <laughs> at which point you say oh i'm so sorry that was just a slip of the tongue still how do mm-hmm. you feel da, 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 da. the you know? yes the reporter said congratulations on your win paula says i lost he continues to ask his question she said i, I need to tell you that i i lost i did not win then the moderator chips in and says she did not win no apology he continues to ask the same question again and with grace paula answers the question because that would not be me like she is better than me and then we have a reporter asking victoria azarenka what it's like in russia re-wimbledon how how do russians feel about wimbledon 
And she's like, um, I'm from Belarus. That's <laughs> a different country. <sighs> uh, and people were, you know, calling for reporters to identify themselves before they ask questions, which I don't, I do not have a problem with that. I think that's normal. Or they were saying reporters should be required to watch the matches they're reporting on. That will never happen. That's your, ridiculous. Your favorite reporters, the best reporters, they're not watching the match either. Nobody's watching the match. I mean, if you've like, if you've been in press at tennis tournaments, reporters catch some on TV. They may go to the match for a set, but like, nobody's watching the whole thing. Nobody. And that's just because they have a lot of competing requirements from editors. Unless you're on a specific beat for a certain country or you're following right. one player, you're not going to matches. You may, if the press box overlooks center court or if there are press seats on center court, you may move your equipment to go watch it. Mm -hmm. Do you know how often I was like one of two people in the press seats at Cincinnati? Yeah. We have all these seats, all these seats open. Well, there weren't that many. Nobody's down there. And I'm not saying that that's correct or that's how it should be, but you're not going to get reporters to watch the matches. At least not full ones. They're busy. <laughs> right? There's a lot of tennis happening at the same time. And also they're writing stories. Right. That said, that is a horrendous error. And you should be embarrassed. Yes. You should apologize mm -hmm. to Paula. She just had to retire against Kostiuk. Like, it sucks. She's not going to be in a good mood. And, and she handled it really, really well. And now she has to go sit in... Sitsipas's box for interminable five set matches with his dad like have some sympathy i could not date a tennis player because well, once i put my work in i'm done <laughs> i'm not coming out here to go play my best of five set match go do my thing and then come back out for four more hours and then and then be get, like yeah babe right? good shot and then get yelled at because you're not cheering enough no, absolutely not <laughs> i will see you at home i'll see you in the hotel room <laughs> If you're coming in with a stank attitude, I'll see you tomorrow. Right. You can go sleep in the business center. <laughs> but no, but for real, like people were saying that reporters should lose his credential. And like, I don't know. I don't know what the correct answer is. I do think that Wimbledon, their press moderation has been very poor in the past because often they ask a club member to like, have a little field trip and moderate a certain press conference. We saw it with Venus Williams, that absolute catastrophe a few years ago after her car accident. Uh, yes, I believe reporters should be held to higher standards than that. That's an embarrassment. I think the easiest fix is, I mean, it's not a fix, but the easiest thing to create a safeguard is to have some identification. I'm sure that allows for online attacks and maybe some really nasty, gnarly stuff happening to reporters when they don't deserve it because mm -hmm. of the inherent, just nasty nature of standum. Right. But I think that's the that's the only thing you can really do. I mean, it at happens. This in, point. It happens in other sports. Like reporters identify themselves. Mm -hmm. The other thing, and this is just like a personal gripe. This may be very niche, but. There are a lot of gatekeepers like in the traditional press who are trying to keep out new mm, media, oh yeah. right? But this is not that. <laughs> well, we don't because, even know who this person is and where no, they're from. We don't. But like in my experience, when new media has attended press, because it's so rare that they get credentials, like they behave appropriately mm -hmm. and professionally because they know that credential is 
it's precarious, right? Right. They're not working for the New York Times. You are right. There are some really nasty people in press who are are very unfriendly to new forms of media. And you may have encountered some of them on Twitter. They're very active. (laughs) You surely have. Very active. And if you think that they're nasty on Twitter, they're just like that in person. And um, yeah. (laughs) Funny enough, a lot of these old school people have now had to adapt to new media. Oh, of course. To continue in... The, the sport to cover the sport but they still carry that nasty attitude a lot of them know? no longer work for a major newspaper mm-hmm. because those jobs literally don't exist anymore but they expect everybody else to have those jobs right yes anyway that was a personal <laughs> gripe i'll stop but speaking of marta kostiuk she beat bedosa she had an emotional win over maria sakari in round one and let me just say this is a brutal draw again for Maria Sakari, this time the eight seed. Uh, she played Mukhova in the French Open round one and, of course, lost. And Carolina made the final. Uh, but this is also, for Kostiak, the second straight major where she drew a top ten player in her first match. Uh, at the French, it was Sabalenka. And here it was Sakari, which she won. Let's take a look at the draws and where we are right now. So on both the men's and the women, the draws are mostly decided i'd say like 90 percent decided right yeah almost there there are two matches that need to either start or finish for us to get the final 16 on both sides uh starting at the top we have alcaraz versus berrettini carlos had a not easy match against jari today i don't think that you can say carlos is a a lock for the quarterfinals i think it could be a battle berrettini has some obvious weaknesses that Carlos will know about, uh, that being the entire backhand side. Right, but he has a comfort on grass. He's a former finalist. Mm -hmm. He has nothing to lose at this point. This is all bonus for him. Carlos looked like he was going to a fifth set today against Jerry and then came back to win that fourth set and close out the match. Francis Tiafo and Grigor Dimitrov... All right. Uh, Francis is down two sets to none versus mm-hmm. Grigor. He was flat as a pancake today. Grigor has been playing well for a little while now. Like he's had yeah. a, a couple slams in Arona where the early rounds are just kind of ho-hum. None of this unnecessary five-set bullshit, <laughs> you know? And he's playing well here again. This interruption can do nothing but help Francis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it may... may still be a steamroll but he needed a break clearly in this match yes the winner of that will play holger uh i know you all have seen the match or at least you've seen what happened in the tie break against alejandro davidovich fokina alejandro looked like he was about to win the match he was up eight five he was producing some really exciting stuff in in the tie he had already had two match points before that final set tiebreak, yes. up 8-5, and at 8-all, he decides to hit an underarm serve, which is swiftly returned for a winner uh, by Holger. That sets him off into a frenzy. An easy forehand winner, and then w- wins his very first match point. Like, it was done, done. I mean, you could sense a, some of the momentum shifting when... Alejandro had had 8-5, and these points are getting chipped away. But I had rarely seen something like that in tennis. Just an absolute mental collapse. And I was thinking about it. I was trying to be generous. You make 
thousands of decisions during a tennis match, conscious and unconscious. One bad decision can change the course of the match. This was just an incredibly shocking decision. I wonder what it must be like and spare a thought for diehard fans of Davidovich Fokina because I would be pulling my hair out. I'd be screaming. <laughs> I'd be throwing things. I may need a new phone at this point because it's destroyed. Like, that is wild. Uh, the commentators didn't really know what to say. Like, they were shocked as well. And somebody reminded me, remember how he exited Wimbledon last year? I had totally forgotten. He was given a point penalty down match point last year from Carlos Ramos. So I'm a fan of Alejandro. I wouldn't say I'm a diehard fan because I don't have that capacity, like, emotionally in my life right now. Right, but, but you are still looking forward to the U.S. Open where you can sit courtside totally. on an outer court and watch him slip inside, slip and slide all <laughs> over that court. No, he's definitely somebody who I want to see. But if you're a fan of his, you have to take the bad with the good. This sort of extraordinary shit is typical. <laughs> extraordinary. It's certainly extraordinary. It, exactly. Medvedev plays Lehechka in the round of 16. Here is Daniil on his... I guess second least second favorite. least favorite <laughs> surface. Like you gotta like one of them. Mm. Lehechka, for his part, he took out Tommy Paul in five sets after being up two sets to love, and he'd been on, on a bit of a slide lately. So this is a, a good performance for him. And then to close out that top half, you have Chris Eubanks against Stefano Tsitsipas. It could have been Nori Murray, uh, but. As usual, I jumped the gun on Andy and said he... I mean, he was a dark horse here. I mean, it's not like he flopped to Stefanos. It was a tough match. Yes, but he'd come in with the best preparation for a slam since his comeback, I would say. Mm -hmm. He won two Grass Challenger events. He said physically it was the best he'd felt in a very, very long time. He was up two sets to one before they had to stop play. The night before, because lo and behold, here's that curfew coming. They still had 20 minutes before 11 o'clock. And then we get this big conversation between Barbara Shett and Mats Wielander as to what happened. Is it the case of, well, both players agreed that they wanted to stop. Stefanos being down two sets to one, and so he wanted the reset. Andy, who fell on the ground, he had three set points in that third set. And on the second one, he changed direction and screamed and fell to the ground, looked like he pulled a groin, mm. and then hit a really good serve on the third set point to close out that third set. And presumably, he too wanted the extra time to deal with potentially an injury, right? I don't even know what the exact rule is. The tournament referee came out. Presumably, they could have played for 15 more minutes to start the fourth set. I don't know. I don't know if it was a case of both players decided to stop or the referee made that decision, but they came back the next day and Stefanos needed to win both sets, and he needed one. And I just can't help but think, had Andy not had that slip at the end of that third set, and if he was able to finish that match that night, this could have gone his way. But, mm -hmm. I mean, that's 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 hearsay at this point. <laughs> right. But it was a last opportunity, because he was playing well, he was feeling well, and yet another second-round exit for right. him. Right, right. On the bottom half, we've got number eight seed Yannick Sinner living up to his seed in the fourth round uh, versus Daniel Galan. He got a little bit lucky with the draw because Taylor Fritz lost to Michael Emer. 
Uh, Galan beat Nishioka, the 24 seed, in the first round. I, f- I always feel like expectations are too high for Taylor, considering his record at slams. On tour, okay. Right, is but, it Pliskova-esque at this point, <laughs> earlier in her career? Right, or uh, at one point it was Sabalenka-esque, or Svitolina. Well, maybe we need to revisit our mailbag episode where we said that we felt that Fritz was the young guy most poised to win a slam next. Who said that? We both did. We both did. Are you we bo- sure? We both sat here. I'm, okay. We were asked a question and we were given three people. Multiple, multiple people asked that question. And we both said that he was one of the ones most likely. And I think that that is fairly absurd at this point. <laughs> then we have, lo and behold, Denis Shapovalov against Safiulin. He could easily make the quarterfinal here. Dennis. Yeah, did not see that coming at all. Casper Ruud was dispatched by Liam Brody. Brody uh, made the third round last year as well. Gave Casper a fifth set bagel. Casper mm. is back at the weekend concert. Don't worry. He's with Abel again. Andrei Rublev plays Bublik. And Urkacz takes on Djokovic. I have yet to see anything happen this first week that sets Djokovic off track No, for uh, whatever number he's at now. What, 24? Yeah. He's won like seven here, I think. Uh, No, nothing. Uh, Folks were (laughs) digging into the nostalgia a bit, hoping that Stanley could do something against Novak. This is not 2016. It was not going to happen. It was not the surface for it to happen. No. And Stan was under no delusion that this could happen either. He said as much in his press conference ahead of the match. <laughs> on the women's side, Sviantek takes on Bencic, Azarenka, Svitolina, Pegula. She's into week two of Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. She takes on Surenko, Vandrosheva against Boskova. That top half, the weaker half, as you profess. Uh, yeah. Uh, Vondrosova, listen, she beat the number 12 seed, Kudermatova, beat Donna Vekic, the number 20, who I think we expected more than her seed. Donna, with her record on grass, having reached the Berlin final, I thought she would go further. Hands up if you picked Donna Vekic to make the semifinals of this tournament, <laughs> because I'm pretty sure did I? I did. I think I, think I you feel may like have I as well. Yeah. I mean, but look at the quarter. It, it was not crazy to put her in the semifinals over Pagula or over Kudamartova. And then Caroline Garcia, who is another grass stalwart, lost to Marie Boskova. Mm. Lacia Serenko versus Anna Bogdan. That match. Yeah, that was a wild one. There was a confirmed the longest tiebreaker in women's Grand Slam history. 2018 in the third set. Sorenko having saved multiple match points. Uh, my money is still on Sviantek here. Yeah, yeah. In the bottom half, this is where things get really juicy. You start off with Ons Jabir against Petra Kvitova. Hadad Maya against Rybakina. Madison Keys plays the winner of Potapova and, and Andreeva. Alexandrova and Sabalenka round off the bottom half. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> okay, I'm going to start at the bottom. Alexandrova... Grass title winner two years in a row, damn near lost to Madison Brangle. Like, what the hell? But she'll play Sabalenka. Uh, Madison Keys, as I said, has made her way through the draw without a lot of fanfare. Ans Shabur played Bianca today. Not a great first set from Ans. Third set was tight until Bianca just played kind of a loose game, and then Ans capitalized. Like, it, it happened really quickly. 
closing out the match with an ace. Back to Alexandrova, though. This is her first slam round of 16. Yeah. She's 28 years old. With her game, like you'd think it would have happened already multiple times. Uh, but there's the defending champion. Beating Katie, beating Katie Bolter 6-1-6-1 to reach the fourth round. Yeah, first round was tricky. First round against Rogers, she lost the first set, and she was just not dialed in yet. This match against Katie Bolter, Rybakina looked pretty fearsome. Patrick Vidova has won her 50th match at Wimbledon. You know, this has been a place of success and a lot of disappointments in the past. But now, like, we talked about this side of the draw. You have last year's runner-up versus a two-time champion who's playing well on grass right now. It's really loaded. You have the defending champion. You have the Australian Open champion. There's a there are a lot of different looks to this bottom half. Yeah. Who do you have winning the women's title? Uh, in my, my bracket challenge, I picked Rybakina to repeat. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely possible. She has a tougher road, but I, I'm sticking with that. I'm sticking with Sviantek, who I picked as well. All right. It's the only thing that can redeem my racket bracket at this point. because <laughs> This is like one of the most historically bad rankings I've ever had in one of these. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about tradition, like Fiddler on the Roof. Wimbledon, it does feel like every year we're talking about weird policies and traditions from Wimbledon that don't change because this is what they do. Uh, Wimbledon is a place of imperialist nostalgia, period. It has a trophy with a pineapple on it. Yes. Where where did the pineapple come from? Not the United Kingdom. It, <laughs> it trots out monarchy to yeah. the trophy presentation to deliver the trophies to the winners. Yes, this is a tournament that has a mutually beneficial relationship with the British monarchy. Now they have a princess who likes tennis and who also needs her image to be... Um, What's the word? Bolstered. But that's bolstered. That's exactly the word I was going for. Bolstered. Oh, you were going for it, huh? Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't find it because it's not rehabilitate. Like she doesn't need that. But aren't I, you glad you have me yes, here? Indeed. But this is a strange place, right? It's a place where Roger Federer makes this triumphant return, and all they let him do is like stand and wave, and then sit with Kate Middleton. What? Was there a ceremony or anything? Well, they he just ha- sat there with the princess. They had this f- six-minute video with Kit Middleton and Roger Federer uh, right. ahead of the tournament I didn't know. where they go and investigate and learn about what it's like to be a ball boy or ball girl at I, Wimbledon. I didn't know that Kate the, was allowed to do that. The extensive training process that they go through. And also, I'm American. I don't need to call her by her title. Like, that is not a requirement of me. Listen, I'm going to say something here. I'm going to read a statement, a line or two. And it will be the perfect segue to what we're going to talk about. Okay. Okay, ready? For the first time in 146 years, Wimbledon changed its women's dress code. Now, the women can wear non-white underwear. Ma'am. Was that, that was a statement? This is 2023. (laughs) Why are we making statements about underwear? We are coming out of a years-long pandemic. Our lives are drastically different. If it weren't before the pandemic, it's different. No, why do I care what baggy the gal I'm wearing? (laughs) 
Well, they did for over a century. It is absolutely crazy, absurd that these people are policing the panties. Yes. That's the title of the episode. No. Policing the panties. (laughs) Wimbledon mid-rap episode. But there are people who will come on social media and defend that right to the death. (laughs) So, there is that. A tournament that polices panties. Is it any surprise that players, viewers, officials, everybody gets wrapped up and oppressed by the stodginess of this tournament in so many varied ways. Sure, but there is a reason it persists, right? The The tournament is beautiful to look at. There is, uh, there is something powerful about being so different from the other slams. And again, I'll say this is imperialist nostalgia. This is nostalgia for a time that we never knew, that I never knew, but that when the British Empire was the British Empire. So much of it is stuff that was invented in the early 20th century, right? Uh, But they're, like I said, a lot of players like it. They like the tradition. It makes it feel extra important. Even though we know logically that grass is a novelty surface at this point. I love grass. Mm -hmm. But again, it's not a serious surface in tennis. Wimbledon still has the cachet of being like the championships of tennis when it's played on a surface that they play on for three weeks a year. And it's in their best interest to keep up this bullshit, to keep them so different from other tournaments, to try and hang their hat on their uniqueness. Right. Because in a way, it's it's a dying art form, right? Of course. Yeah. It's a way to maintain their relevance. And part of the way that they do this is that the site is so small and center court is small compared to the other Grand Slam center courts. Uh, scarcity. Tickets are expensive, tickets are hard to get, and part of the lore of Wimbledon is how do people even get there? Uh, you know, one of the ways is the queue, the famous yeah, queue. Yeah, to camp out like peasants <laughs> overnight, get in line, be handed an inmate number <laughs> for the the privilege of attending the rich people's tournament. Of entering the gates of SW19 to maybe catch a, catch, a, catch a match. You may catch a match. You may mm-hmm. camp overnight and get to your seat at 3 p.m. Yes. At, as you may have been reminded during this first week, Wimbledon is a private club. It's small. And they are not... It's not a Ticketmaster vibe. That's that's not what they do. They're, Apparently some people have gotten tickets on Ticketmaster before. Okay. Like you can, I guess. This, But this is how it... A of, limited number. Sure. This is how it officially works. Ways to get tickets are there is a public ballot that has existed since 1924. Now you can submit your name online. It closes December 30th of the prior year, and you may get tickets through the ballot. A lot of people do. Debenture is the other thing. (laughs) If you want debenture tickets, first of all, be rich. It sounds like dentures and for old people. Essentially, it is very expensive tickets. It's the best the best seating, 2,500 seats on center court that you can buy through debenture. They're issued every five years. And it is essentially, it is an asset that you can buy or sell. It can be purchased through a stockbroker. It can also be traded through a stockbroker. So it's not, it's not a regular ticket, right? It is actually an asset that people trade. 
I'm confused. What exactly is a debenture of a debenture? So a debenture is actually, in financial terms, a long-term security that is issued by a company and secured against its assets. At Wimbledon, it's essentially an asset that you can buy, and they use these very expensive debenture tickets to make uh, updates and improvements to the site. So this is the debenture folks are really what's paying the bills. People who belong to the club or can afford to buy a debenture ticket, they get the best seats, they dress up, they this is how people like Bradley Cooper, Jamila Jamil get in. Like, you know, you can't just buy a ticket for the third row of center court. Somebody with a debenture ticket probably has to loan it to you. So in other words, it's rich people shit. Yeah. So for opening day, the debenture tickets were selling for twenty four hundred pounds. That that's just for one session. So this is like this is what pay the bills, what helps them improve their long term assets, like capital improvement. Then you can also get Wimbledon tickets through a hospitality package. Their exclusive partner is this company called Keith Prouse. Those start at seven hundred seventy five pounds minimum. Those sold out in April. And then the last one for like regular folks, if you don't get one through the ballot, you can line up in the queue each day. And they set aside 500 tickets for each show court, so center one and two. And if you, I guess, if you're one of the first 1,500 people in line, you may get a ticket for one of those show courts for much, much less than it would normally be. Right, so I don't know if you're like me and on Twitter and don't really understand how the queue works, you've never done it, and you see people say, oh, I joined the queue, I'm number 1275, and you're wondering, what does that mean? My understanding now is that means that depending on the schedule of play that day, maybe you're wanting to watch your fave on center court, but your fave isn't like the overwhelming fave of most of the other people in the queue. So maybe the first 500 people all want court one tickets. Oh, I see. And so you're kind of okay to maybe get your center court ticket. It's all dependent on what people want to do ahead of you in the queue, right? Mm -hmm. And then outside of those 1,500 reserved seats or tickets, there are ground passes that you can wait in queue for. Right. I've also read that tickets are also resold. People watch maybe one or two matches on center court and then they leave those queue tickets. You return them. Is what I understand. Yeah, because they're only resold by the tournament. Like and, you can't just give correct. your ticket to someone because it's attached to your ID, right? Right. Yeah. And then those tickets are resold and the profits go to charity. Okay. So some folks join the queue in the afternoon and get on site at 6 p.m. or something and then watch two or three hours of tennis mm-hmm. for 15 pounds, which is a pretty good deal if you're not having to wait too long for it. You know, so right. there right. is some benefit to it. I just cannot foresee myself at my big age camping out and like that is behavior beyond my bandwidth and like my question is always is it accessible like is it possible for the elderly for the disabled to wait in the queue the same way that able-bodied people do i'm told that there is a separate queue to okay sure assuage those concerns all right i but certainly still, wouldn't be doing it like but still you are not technically a person with a disability but you could not do it no i could not i would not do it <laughs> <laughs> and like and, why 
why am I doing like it's like this is 2023. I really hoped that with the pandemic and them having to pause this in 2021, I hope stopped in 2021 that this would have been the end of it. But now the queue is back in full effect and every year it becomes more and more ludicrous to me that this happens. Yeah. Granted, I hear all the people who say that this is a fun experience. And you people enjoy said the camaraderie. You've met friends, like, I believe you, that's amazing for you, that will not ever be me. Sell the fucking tickets. It just won't be. Sell the tickets outright. <laughs> like <laughs> it just makes it so precious. Another element about this tournament being so precious. That yes. taken together with everything, you're just doing too much. You're doing too much all the time. All the time. And it also feels like the people who can't afford to buy Devonshire tickets or can't get tickets from the ballot, like those people have to labor and perform in a certain way that also adds to the lore of the tournament. Right. Like, I am poor. I'm in the queue. And maybe I'll make some friends here. It is such a joy <laughs> and highlight of my life. I finally got into this tournament. Please let me in, sir. Right. Please. I will shine your shoes. <laughs> A lot of conversation about the curfew this this year and every year. And to be honest, I'm totally over it. Like I'm not I'm not complaining about the curfew. I'm complaining about the scheduling. If if you cannot yeah. you know, you cannot feasibly finish your matches on center court if they start at 130. Why are, why are you starting at 130? We do not believe that tennis players should be playing past midnight. <laughs> exactly. So I actually, probably years ago, I would have said the curfew is so stupid. Like, we love night tennis. Sure. But do we love night tennis when people are out here playing till 2 a.m.? They don't leave the site till 5 a.m.? Volunteers, everybody, like, the trains are not running anymore. I get it. I, like, I don't have a problem with the curfew. <laughs> you know? This topic is... A perfect illustration of how my viewing habits and my viewing of tennis has changed yes. over the years. Mm -hmm. I was at work this week and my manager comes up to me and says, quite excitedly, oh, you must be really enjoying the Wimbledon coverage this week. I mean, they know I have a tennis podcast mm -hmm. or whatever. Obviously, he has to approve my time off to go and do tennis stuff, you know. <laughs> and I had to take a pause because I wasn't. <laughs> you know, oh. <laughs> and it, I'm supposed to, right? But increasingly, partly because I'm doing the show and the way we cover tennis, it's not a fan experience anymore. We don't have that same lens on tennis right. anymore. And also, a lot of our faves have retired. I mean, there's that, but also we're watching the first week of Wimbledon and all we can see is the inherent fuckery all over the place at this mm. tournament. Yeah. We are not watching it like my like him Who's like, oh, Dennis is doing really well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Felix didn't play well. Oh, <laughs> Bianca's still in the tournament. Oh. You know, like th those little uh, water cooler conversations that people will have about tennis as diehard or casual fans when a tournament is going on. We can't do that anymore. That's just not us. Okay. Necessarily. And so then I got into like a five minute conversation explaining why this tournament is shit yeah. and why and it's a problem. And they were like, this is not why. They were like, are you serious? No, but they were, he was like, are you serious? Like, this is how this is how a tournament in 2023 sells tickets? Oh, oh. <laughs> do other tournaments do that? I'm like, no, sweetie, no. <laughs> no, you can buy them like Beyonce tickets. Right. <laughs> the 
The curfew thing, though, if if I were at home, like I'm at home watching the U.S. Open in my time zone, love night matches because I'm I'm going to be up late anyway, right? Love night matches. You love night matches till midnight because you have to go to bed for work. Can I talk? Yes. However, if I were in person, I would be like, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to go. It's not fun in person for me, at least when I was <laughs> right? there. Like, was like when, let's go. When does the train stop? Uh, I'd probably rather be somewhere else at one a.m. I'd like to go stop by a bar, yeah. somewhere cool, have a have a drink, meet up with some folks. And the curfew at Wimbledon was a consequence of the roof going in when mm. they had to seek approval from the local council to put the roof in at all. This all sounds very precious, right? London is one of the most prominent cities in the entire world and it's they, one of the biggest cities like in they still have have to go through their their local councils wimbledon village has to approve all this stuff and they said sure you can put in the roof but there's going to be a curfew because this is not a night tournament do you think there do you think it was a whole bunch of public housing residents in wimbledon I don't village think, no who had i to don't vote on this? i don't think so and so this led to one of the most hilarious things we saw on twitter this oh. past week. Oh my God. So Bad Toss on Twitter was just going scorched earth. <laughs> on, <laughs> on the generational wealth. Of right, in Wimbledon, Wimbledon Village. Yeah. Like, don't come at me about how people need to be maintaining peace and noise at this time. Like, these people, they're not even here at this time. They've rented out their places. Roger Federer is probably staying there. Like, give me a break. <laughs> and then somebody responded. With a lot of people have inherited these homes, but they're like cash poor, so they have to work regular jobs. They've inherited these homes. Like $5 million or pound homes. But they make semi-normal salaries. Like, babe, this is not doing what you think it's doing. Um, I sat there (laughs) and I just, my mouth was just wide open. (laughs) It was perfect. And I... I get it. Like, if you grew up in a place like New York or other places in Europe that are later, like Northern Europe and the British Isles, shit closes early. And it's just, it's not my vibe. But this is London. Like, if that's how they want to do it, that's how they want to do it. And if people get to go home at a, de- at a reasonable hour, fine. Just start play at 11 a.m. Like, yes. that's all I'm saying. Why are we starting play on center court at 1.30 p.m.? <laughs> right. Subsequent days... After we've had rain delays over and over and over again. You're so backlogged. We still haven't gotten through all the fourth round matches. This is six days into the tournament. And you still haven't completed your schedule because of the rain. And mostly because you didn't start an hour and a half earlier every day. Mm-hmm. Period. And the other thing with the scheduling is... And a few players have called it out. Like Alizé Cornet called out the treatment of unseated players in a sort of a serpentine way. Which I'll mention. You got first round matches finishing on Thursday, but you've made sure that your top seeds have had the most comfortable mm-hmm. rides possible. Yeah. And I guess that's what top seeds get, <laughs> right? But on Wednesday, Sviantek and Djokovic finished their second rounds easily in, in comfort, but there are first rounds that didn't even start until Thursday. That sucks. That is, wait for it, an inequity in tennis. Indeed. I wonder if the PTPA is going to take that up. (laughs) Well, um, 
And Alizé Cornet was talking about how they treat unseeded players like really dotty here. And at the French Open, they treat the French players like kings and queens. And I'm like, Alizé, again, like this, it's not doing what you think it's doing. (laughs) That's another inequity at the front. You know, it just benefited you that time. We're going to finish up with a few etc. observations from the first week. First, Annette Contevate has retired from tennis, played her last match in both singles and mixed doubles. Uh, she beat Stefani before going out to Bozkov in the second round. Just uh, feel really bad. For, I honestly feel terrible for her. She said she cannot play without pain in her back. Uh, and there was really no decision to be made. It was made for her. And with all the rain delays, there were all these discussions on Twitter about her court assignments. She eventually got pushed to an outer court where there was just two benches for people to watch. And then, of course, no surprise, a lot of Serena Army fans, who are known to be some of the most uncharitable (laughs) toward players who aren't Serena Williams, were like, well, what did you expect? What has she won? (laughs) What has she won? What has she done? But the point, like, she's a former number two player in the world. Deserved better than that, in my opinion. Uh, Jeremy Chardy also retired at Wimbledon, losing to Carlos Alcaraz in the first round. After Donna Vekic beat Sloane Stevens, Sloane was up big, a set, and I think maybe even 5-2 in that match. And Donna mm. came back to win. At the end of that match, her entire box was rejoicing. Donna was in tears. And people were mocking her. And I was just sitting there thinking... What is wrong with you people? <laughs> a second round match and she's carrying on like that. What has she won? Mm. You're she really telling on yourself that really, you have really no idea about what it's like for 98% of tennis professionals on a week-to-week basis. This is a former tennis prodigy who's suffered through many things in her career, not least of which the, I presume, the embarrassment of that whole Kyrgios, Kokinakis, Vavrinka trifecta of fuckery that right. y'all sat there and enjoyed and kikied and kakaed through. When men humiliated her on an international right. stage and made her the butt of the joke. So many injuries that have derailed her career. And this was a big achievement for her. And if that's how she felt, that's how she felt. Period, point blank, end of story. Also... People just need to get comfortable with crying because that's what it is. You're making fun of someone because it makes you uncomfortable, right? Like, what are what are the legitimate reasons that somebody should cry? Right, because we know everybody's sitting here on TikTok watching dog videos crying, and there's no shame in that. If I'm crying over a dog video, I'm gonna cry if I win a big match at Wimbledon. <laughs> uh, total change of tone here, but Jensen Brooksby—that's his name, right? Jensen Brooksby Swanson. Okay. That's the TBS name. He has accepted a provisional suspension by the ITIA for missing three doping tests within 12 months. He says, quote, it's not an admission of guilt. He has never taken a banned substance and he has not been accused of taking, taking a banned substance. This is just a citation for missing three tests in a year. Uh, comes with... It could come with a long suspension. I believe it's a one-year suspension, if found uh, culpable. He secured Howard Jacobs as his attorney, who is also representing Simona Halep. 
I remember throughout this Halop saga, we were asking, like, who was her lawyer? Like, who was advising her to speak like this? Her lawyer was Howard Jacobs. I don't, we obviously don't know what he has or has not advised her, uh, but he has uh, defended or represented other players accused of doping. He's had surgeries on both wrists, as far as we can tell, and that's why he was out of action, and then mm-hmm. now this story comes. Um, he split with a coach that he's known for decades, like not a great year for him. Decades? How old do you think he is? Well, he said since he, I don't know, how old is he? <laughs> he said since he was seven. So, so like maximum one and a half and a, decades. Decade and a half. Maximum 1.5 decades. 1.5 decades. Still plural. <laughs> His So the official statement mentions one of the alleged missed tests, which he claims happened in the Netherlands. He was where he said he would be in his hotel, and he was cited for missing that test. Uh, several players have come out on Twitter to defend him and say like how difficult the the location thing is with anti-doping, because obviously you need the element of surprise in anti-doping. It is a foundation of anti-doping in all sports. Players need to list their whereabouts. The the tests themselves have to be a surprise. Um, They just show up. But in tennis, of course, you're traveling constantly. Plans change on a dime. Matches take too long. Lots of things can happen. You're expected to update the doping authorities like every time something happens, and that's your team's responsibility. But I can understand how things get missed. Mm. Yeah, also, like we don't just default to trust in Babylon. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. You may remember back in 2018, Alize Cornet was charged with the same offense for missing three tests within a year. This was a whole saga, right? She said the buzzer at her apartment was broken, her dad was involved, and she was eventually totally cleared of these charges because they determined that the doping control officer didn't take reasonable steps to locate her. Tsitsidosa. You wrote this. I have no... I am blissfully unaware of what's going on here. Sex streams. What's going on? These two are inescapable. Yeah. For one, they were entered into mixed doubles, so that was a thing at the start of the tournament. They've since withdrawn. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but presumably because of Paula's injury, mm-hmm. right? Pagula has withdrawn too. Did you hear that? Oh, no, I didn't. Well, she's still in women's doubles and singles, but she cited a back injury. Mm. Paula has been in Stefanos's box. There were all these posts going around where Paula was side-eyeing Apostolos. Did you see that one? Oh, no. I mean, how could you not? And people were making all these speculations. It looks like uh, Apostolos was going to do something. He was seated in, seated in the first row of the box, and she was over his right shoulder in the second row. And he was about to do something, and it looked like he realized that Paolo was there, remembered that Paolo was there, and then stopped. And then she was kind of like, mm, what's going on here? And her eyes were like <laughs> side-eyeing him. Okay. I think so, also like that's just what she looks like. Right, but there's also my point is there's a lot of pu- there's a lot of content from them, yes. and there's a lot of public fascination with them mm-hmm. clearly at this point, and they're playing into it because Stefanos is giving comments about their origin story, and when pressed, he's saying, "Oh, ask her about it," and so in press, in press, she's asked. Stefano said that journalists should ask how it started with him. He said, you have a better story. 
Paula says, he already explained it, all the Rome story. Yeah, I think you mean about that I had a dream? Uh, yeah, well, I was injured in Australia. I watched his match, the final, against Novak. Of course, I had jet lag because I was in Spain. I decided to watch that match. You're hearing this for the first time? Yeah. Surprising, because I never dream about tennis players. But I dreamt about him that night, that we were both winning Australian Open. Then, it was like we were having a very romantic moment. (laughs) But I'm not going to explain. I'm just going to leave it there. Okay. So she fucked him into fruition. You really just said that? (laughs) In In her dreams. In a dream. In her dreams. This happened when? Are you going to edit that out? I'll take the second half of the episode. Okay. (laughs) This happened in Australia? That's when the dream happened. When she was still with that dead side model? Listen. I mean, you're allowed to have dreams about other people. I'm not policing someone's dreams. Certainly not. If you were to police my dreams, it would be over. That's like a Nightmare on Elm Street situation. (laughs) Um, I, I hope that one of them is making money off this. You know, because I, it's not going to last. So, like, capitalize on the relationship, sell some merch or something. I wish them joy and <laughs> happiness. But above all this, I'm wishing them. Grand Slam titles? <laughs> Love may be more attainable. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kevin Anderson announced that he's coming back. That was the most random thing I heard all week. Dude said, I'm at home with the kids. I've had enough. 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 Uh, we've uh, Tom Brady. Uh, we've heard this before. Uh, he's coming back at Newport, which is really soon. Which is the only ATP tournament on grass in the United States. He's won it before. Uh, so Kevin Anderson. Okay, the Western and Southern Open, which is as of this recording still located in Mason, Ohio. By uh, <laughs> next Monday, Navarro could have moved it to like Tallahassee, Florida. I have no idea. Timbuktu. Uh, who knows? But uh, Cincinnati has offered a wild card to Caroline Wozniacki. This will be. I don't know if this will be the first tournament in her comeback, but it is the. No, it'll be the second because she's going to play. Is she going to play Canada? She's going to play Montreal first. Have they confirmed that they're giving a? She said that in her Vogue piece. All right. Well, she's coming to Cincinnati. I had this memory, right? And I looked it up. Kim Kleister has played Cincinnati as her first tournament in her first comeback back in 09 when she won the U.S. Open. Cincinnati used to be before Canada. That's when I won the Rogers Cup hat because we were on the shuttle to the (laughs) site and the volunteer played a little trivia game and they said how many moms are in this tournament and it was because kim was in the field Mm -hmm. and i guess the other one i forget who it was oh i think it was like wait at that point like mandy manella or was that no sybil bammer yes it was Sybil yes Yes. you you said an s sound and i remember yes anyway what else so the last thing serana kirstea has you know she has done weird conservative things on twitter before she said she loves elon she loves governor abbott abbott from that Texas. time on twitter Remember when that? she was tweeting up a storm about greg abbott greg abbott uh she uh, obviously has some very right-wing views which she's expressed before this week she shared something on instagram from someone called mimi homemaker 94 that said make men masculine again Make women feminine again. 
make children innocent again. She has used the MAGA formation before when she said make Twitter great again mm-hmm. when Elon bought Twitter. This is squarely queerphobic. It's, squarely. it's homophobic. It's transphobic. Like anyone kind of dancing around that, you're kidding yourselves. This is American far-right Republican language. This is somebody like who verbatim. is unfit to be a parent, in my view. Make children innocent again? What does that mean? Totally like, unfit. It's like we're in the 1970s again, that gay people are assumed to be predators of children. I can assure you, I don't give a fuck about your kids. I want to be as far <laughs> away from your children as humanly possible. Literally. Like the straight friends that we have who have bred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're the ones that we try. We try. We try. We actually try and fail repeatedly. No, but that's it. That's it. To stay somewhat present in their lives. Like, um... But I don't need to... We don't need to explain that queer people don't want to mess with your children. They really don't. This is sick. It's disgusting. I'm glad she shared it because I'm glad that we know who she is. Once and for all. Yes. Is it just that she's a deeply unthinking person, perhaps? Is no, it that she's she, a nasty, nasty I'm just person. saying, mm-hmm. the most charitable reading of this Why is that... Why be charitable? I'm just saying that the most, un, the most charitable reading is that she's just an unthinking person. And the most logical explanation, given the track record now, is that she is... A bigot. A, Period. Yeah, multiple things can be true, as yes. you say. Yes, uh, I as we always, say. I always think about that Fed Cup tie in Romania mm-hmm. a few years ago Kanta. when Nastase was saying nasty, racist, misogynistic things where they created such an inhospitable atmosphere for the other team. And Kirstea was there crying mm-hmm. about stay out of, we are a small country, stay out of our business. Well, stay out of American business right? because you are literally like you are literally using United States far right talking points verbatim. And whichever trolls you set off this week in our mentions and DMs, by the way, all Romanian names. There was a DM. Oh, girl. I reported that one before. We he got saw a it. DM. Yes. I didn't see. You didn't tell yes. me. All Romanian last names. I don't even know if they are real people or like bots, but it's literally american republican talking points word for word like there's clearly a pipeline on here mm. yeah so anybody who beats serona castilla going forward we'll send you merch <laughs> <laughs> wait who did it this week had that my did the business today. beatrice i don't even care about the doping dope all you want you're in the hall of fame now, <laughs> dope girl. all you want you're in the hall of fame <laughs> You sent that homophobe packing. <laughs> she wants to be feminine again. Let her be feminine again. Whatever she means by that. Uh, I mean, and you think about what that means in the context of tennis and how fraught that has been for so many of the WTA players historically. Mm-hmm. Does that mean like, don't be a dyke? Or does Make that mean- women feminine again. Mm-hmm. Like, I could have won many... She probably thinks she could have won many more tournaments had it not been for all the super masculine, lesbian, Amazon, black... Like, all the, all the racist talking yeah. points, right? Probably. I wonder if Margaret Court has openings at her church. I, like, 
Yeah, I'm. It's so rare that somebody who you are so suspicious of for so long gives you just exactly what you need to just close <laughs> the book. And so we shall close the book on Kirstea and this episode. As always, thanks for listening. Linktree.com slash the body serve has everything you need. Merch, episodes. Thanks for all the downloads for the Wimbledon preview episode. Like that's our maybe yeah. our best selling I was very slam surprised. preview episode. Crazy. But don't be just sticking around here for the slam episodes. Like we've got a lot of stuff going on year round, you know? <laughs> it's so disheartening when we th- we think we release a banger. And it's and the numbers are so flop. No, really, like <laughs> we we don't load up the quality just around the slams. No, Re- uh, sometimes it's the we exact often opposite. think it's <laughs> the, it's some of our worst stuff. <laughs> and then often, even if it's not a slam episode, we look at numbers of episodes that are doing well. I'm like, how? And people are like, oh, this this episode was so good. I'm like, like what? This was... episode was such a trial and a tribulation right. to get through. What was the magic? I don't know. But thank you anyway. Mm-hmm. Like every download counts. Spread the word. Spread the word. Let them know about the kings of the north. <laughs> he the north. All our other kings have left. Van Vliet's gone. He they them Kyle, the north. Kyle Lowry's gone. Bianca Andreescu is out of the tournament like felix needs a new coach <sighs> we're representing up here mm. it's lonely up here my name is jonathan you can find me on twitter at tennis underscore john i'm james at elia jmr two l's two t's you plugged Linktree already so all that's left to say is till next time thank you thank you very much